0: This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at MediaWeek.com.au. Welcome to a new Media Week Podcast. Joining me today to talk about television as usual, Andrew Mercado, and a special guest today, the creator, producer and writer of The Newsreader, Michael Lucas. Welcome to you both. Uh, thanks. Oh. <laughs> thanks for having me. Yeah, good good to get you on, Michael. And uh, Andrew, uh, welcome back to you, mate. Thanks, James. Look, we'll um, we, we're going to change our format a little bit differently today. We're still going to talk about a number of news shows, but um, we're going to take the opportunity of um, drilling Michael a little bit about the newsreader and maybe try and get a little uh, peek into what else he's up to at the moment. But but after we cover off the newsreader, he will stay with us and he's going to talk about some of the other things he might have been watching, which might include things like clickbait, um, Nine Perfect Strangers. We're going to be talking a bit about Vigil, and even Wentworth, the um, final series which started recently on Foxtel. But let's start off with talking about um, Newsreader now. Congratulations to you, Michael. It's been doing fantastic business for the ABC, and I'm um, happy to report that we're finally getting these total TV figures now, and it tells us a drama like um, the Newsreader is getting over 1.2 million people.
1: Oh yeah, I know it's great. is it I know there is always this frustration or there has been up until now as someone who makes drama that you know mostly what's reported is the overnight metro number where, You know, we just don't look as good as those reality shows, but um, once you factor in eye view and catch up and everything, the the fact is oftentimes we're watched by more eyeballs. And so, yeah, I'm thrilled that that finally, that reporting is, we used to find out that, you know, the networks would tell us that and it would be reassuring, but there was always a level (laughs) of frustration that it wasn't publicly reported.
2: Yeah. How happy are you, Michael, to hear, I saw an article from Mal Walden, the newsreader from Melbourne, I think he did an interview with TV Tonight, and he really praised the authenticity of the newsreader. How, how fantastic has it been for you to hear from people who are actually there in the 80s in the newsroom and saying, I know who that guy is. You know, you know that, that, that they are saying that you've really nailed it
1: yeah uh, th- that by far was the thing that I was the most worried about, even more than would anyone watch it? it was It was just, would it be condemned by people that worked in in news, especially because you know I worked for years on offspring, which let's just say it had a had a pretty uh, playful look at what being an obstetricians like. and and wentworth as well, you know correctional services isn't quite like that. But with this one, I felt like you you're never going to get a more vocal public profession than journalists TV journalists they're all on twitter and they're all willing to but by and large yes yeah, but that was amazing from mel walden because as he pointed out there are, there are a couple of little nods to him in the show but there's also been tracy spicer and then yeah um, i didn't actually listen to it but i was getting all these texts that um uh, I think Libby Gore did some sort of radio thing with Jennifer Kite and Anne Fulwood, and got William McInnes on it as well. And and by and large, they've been, um, yeah, basically, I mean, we worked pretty hard and I was working with, uh, I had uh, employed a consultant who worked through a lot of those big commercial network newsrooms in the 80s. And so we we put in a lot of effort to get it right, but it's just, I'm really glad to hear that they're
0: endorsing it. Uh, Michael, tell us just a little bit about the genesis of the show. I mean, the one line synopsis that goes out with the press kit says an ambitious reporter and a notoriously difficult star newsreader joined forces to survive in the high octane world of a 1986 newsroom. How much of that did you have crafted when you were first pitching the show? Is that what was you were using to sell it?
1: Uh, In the very, very early days. No, the the strange thing about this was that I began with the two characters of Helen and Dale and it had nothing to do with the newsroom. So (laughs) it's evolved quite a lot. But no, I wanted to look at um, this relationship, a unique relationship in the 80s. and, And my idea, the starting, well, the starting point was Dale, Sam Reed's character, and it was someone who was feeling this sort of pressure to be a certain kind of man. And then I matched him with a woman who had those traditionally masculine traits, was but was being punished for it. So, I had those characters and then it was actually quite a way in when I suddenly thought, oh, maybe he wants to be a newsreader. That's the masculine image he's aspiring to. And then that overtook everything. So, when it went to the ABC, he at that stage in the draft was working in a newsroom, but she wasn't. She was a nurse, weirdly. And then at a certain point, once I started researching, then it became more and more and more about um, that workplace. And, And especially the ABC was very interested in using the real events and using their archives so it it evolved but the starting point was the that central relationship and actually now the point the series is um where we're up to live to air is episode four and I think it becomes really apparent in the last episode that it is at the end of the day about their relationship even more than it is about the work culture as a whole
2: so you obviously have a plan in mind for these two characters for future seasons because I've watched all six episodes I've jumped ahead and you know it's it's obvious to me that you've got all your fingers and toes crossed that this is going to go happen <laughs> in third season you want you want to do more you want to tell the story more about these two people don't you
1: yeah, yeah. In short, yes. I mean, I feel like I should probably play it cool and say, "Oh, we'll see what happens." But no, yeah, I would love to. I certainly know. I mean, we were initially developing it um, for eight episodes, and then at a certain point, it was funded for six. So even, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of story that you could you could jump into, and yeah, I, I know pretty clearly where I'd want to <laughs> where I'd want to go next.
0: So just fingers crossed, we get the chance. And tell us about how did. Um... When a film's become involved, how did that partnership come around? I had actually, I'd been in
1: a room with Joe, uh, a Sam Strauss show, uh, and had met her and really liked her there. But actually I took her to the ABC just myself solo first because I was working with them on Rosehaven. And um, they were working with Joe at the time on Riot and and were loving that collaboration. So they um, suggested that she'd be a good person to um, you know to to pitch it to. and um and then and then I started seeing more and more about riot, and that as well was a really well-executed period piece. And yeah, so I went and met with her, and she just right from the get-go, um was super enthusiastic and revealed to me instantly that she had always wanted to be a TV news uh, <laughs> reporter. And yeah, it was just sort of one of those effortless, exciting, energetic collaborations right from the start.
2: So you've also uh, had the second series of five bedrooms uh, drop on Paramount Plus and mm. I all of that. And then after the fact found out that halfway through filming, the COVID regulations had meant that the second batch of episodes were kind of filmed in this socially distanced way, which I've got to tell you, I didn't notice on screen. I was so into the Yes, <laughs> that's <laughs> but, great to hear. My question is, what happened with the newsreader? Do you, were you filming that under similar COVID conditions in Melbourne?
1: Um it, things had gotten a little bit better but, um because when we went back to five bedrooms um we were one of the very first ones back in in the entire world and in addition to that we were coming back in Melbourne's second wave um so things were really really strict uh, very strict caps of people on um you know in rooms and everything like that because there were we, that was at the time when we were getting oh God, what were we getting? Like 400 cases a day, which now seems minor. But back then it was, it felt like an emergency. Uh, but then with the newsreader, yes, there were um, definitely everything, you know, we were masked and all that sort of stuff. But by that stage, Melbourne was COVID zero. So um, it wasn't quite as intense. There were still things like, for example, the edit suite that you see in the show had detachable walls so that we could, you know, um, get more space in there and um, there aren't as many sort of driving scenes as you might like, but um, by and large, it, 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 it was significantly easier. And then I think it was like midway through the newsreader shoot, our restrictions lowered even more and, and we were able to, you know, to get more people in rooms and everything. So I think it really doesn't show on the newsreader scenes. <laughs> yeah, well that was still the similar thing. You still have to do um you know, you you have to get your cast to test and then isolate right up until right up until the moment they have to pass or whatever they're required to do. So uh, that that was still pretty similar. There's a, there's a there's an unusual amount of planning that goes into just the simplest kiss.
0: <laughs> Tell us a little bit about the casting and and how How much into that were you? How much of a negotiation is that through with the broadcast? A bit of a general look at that. And then talk about some of the the key cast members, if you like.
1: Um, Yeah, well, the casting, I mean, it was a really good collaboration between me and Emma, the director, Emma Freeman and Joe Werner, and Nathan Lloyd was our um, casting director. And um, you'll you'll notice there's a few crossover casts from Five (laughs) (laughs) Bedrooms as well because... (laughs) Because <laughs> we were losing our ability to ship in people from out of, I mean, they're all brilliant actors that but, but we drew on the Melbourne Ensemble a fair bit. Um, yeah, so, but I mean, basically a lot of them were offers, um, certainly sort of them, them uh, Anna and Sam and uh, William and um, Stephen Peacock um, and Rob Taylor. And I have to say, it was this incredible time to be casting because when we were looking for people, there was we weren't competing with anyone. We weren't competing with stage, and there was nothing else really being filmed. And so, um, almost all of those people were at the top of our lists, and we were just really lucky that um, in, in all of those cases, we just sent them the scripts, and then in a couple of cases, we had a follow up meeting with them to you know just to chat it through. But certainly, Anna, Sam. Robert, William were all kind of the dream um, cast for us and they, and they said yes, which was fantastic. I also, actually I should say as well, E1 was very involved with the casting, probably evenly balanced with ABC. Um, they were very, you know, they were concerned about getting a, a certain number of names that were internationally bankable and so someone like Robert Taylor is just brilliant on that front because Longmire is such a global hit and not to mention anna as well who coming off mindhunter um and then and then the rest of the casts um we opened up and and did full you know tests for everyone and I, i have to say in every case pretty much the 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 people that we've got on screen were the sort of clear standout that all of us emma joe and i and the abc all thought that, that we'd found lightning in a bottle with all the moon. Mark Downey really stands out. That was a brilliant idea from Nathan Lloyd. And um, and I don't think, she was in Top of the Lake, but I think people, if you don't go to stage shows, you're not that familiar with her range. And she just was, her. she did this incredible screen test. It was so compelling. And someone like Chai Hansen was incredibly exciting to us. Who plays the cameraman, Tim. Um, again, I remember the ABC were particularly excited. We found I don't know, we're sort of casting a love interest there. So you're looking for someone really magnetic on screen. Um, yeah, that, so that was it. But certainly the the, the main ones to lock in were, were Anna and Sam and, and that, you know, and, and it really, really helped in the case of Anna that she'd done Secret City with Emma and um, and loved her and Joe as well. Uh, and with Sam, Sam, we had quite long uh, chats with on Zoom and it was, I was actually really fascinated with him because he he doesn't, he's never played a character like this. He plays normally these very stately um, sort of English gentleman types, Mr. Darcy types, very high status. Even when he's in something like Lambs of God, the point of it is that he comes in high status. And um, I, I was really fascinated to see, I could see he was a brilliant actor, but I didn't know how he was going to be playing low status and anxious. And then right from that first day of shoot, I just couldn't believe how, he was just brilliant. And and um, when you watch it, you it, now it seems bizarre to think that he normally plays those stately. And he's also just been cast as, I don't know whether you've seen this as Lestat in Interview with the Vampire. Amazing. I know. Yes. So
2: you're probably going to say, uh, this is a, this is a different response to every TV series you make? Five Bedrooms is there, you can binge it all in one hit. The news yeah. reader. Where are you in terms of wanting stuff to be dropped all at once, or this uh, other way of doing things, where we watch an episode week by week, and perhaps there's word of mouth where we're talking about it and anticipating the next episode? It feels to me like the news reader works well with that week to week format.
1: Yeah, it's a, well, it should, yeah, interesting you bring it up. And actually, I have to say I'm open to both, and I think it depends on the show. Um, yeah. And with Five bedrooms. I mean, we made it assuming it was going to be a weekly rollout like season one, but um, we kind of already knew that it works as a binge because in most other countries in the world, it's on streaming services like Peacock in the States and people seem to really respond. To I think there's something sort of a bit comforting about that show and people just sort of like to roll on episode after episode after episode and it's not necessarily the kind of show where there's big noisy bombshells that happen, that would make a real virtue of doing weekly rollout. So I, I actually do love a binge on five bedrooms. I think that really works for that. But then, as you said, they, ABC uh, goes either way when it comes to, um, you know, I know with Wakefield, they released it all on iview, but I really liked their decision to go weekly rollout with this just because we've got the separate stories every week. But I think even more than that, um... I don't know the show that maybe uh, you find out more about those two central characters in a way that I feel like, um, you know, sort of creates, even last night I noticed that um, there was a lot of tweets and everything like that. And some of the character turns are kind of noisy in a way. And um, so I I don't know, it seems to be working during the weekly rollout. It's an interesting, yeah, it's a really interesting time because it, it, it felt for a while there, like we were just going to nothing but, binges but this year's seen a real resurgence with mayor of east town and the mandalorian and i like it for the right show to do the long savored rollout
0: yeah yeah I've, I've got to say i've really noticed a turn back to things coming out week by week but i guess that's maybe because they're a lot of good things are getting commissioned by tv in some particular market so therefore you can't binge it maybe in australia or
1: yeah well and it's also hbo really has had uh, the, the, a lot of success with, you know, something like White Lotus and um, yeah, just the fact that they milk it out and and it just means that the noise continues. Some, sometimes when something just drops and you've just binge it, it's gone really quickly. It's only spoken about for a week and then it's off into the ether. But if you can stretch it out over a couple of months, then it's kind of, there's a real
0: marketing value in that, I think. Yeah, you you do tend to enjoy a show. I noticed that with, um, I was lucky enough to be able to watch successive episodes of the Newsreader and I've got to tell you that when i knew they were there i had to watch them because it <laughs> the, the, was there was it was very bingeable you know if you had them all there the temptation to to wait was was i know
1: well and in fact i know that the abc does have they've kept some marketing budget in the tank for like an online campaign for when all the six are there knowing that there's an audience that are, and i know anecdotally there's you know, some people. I don't think they're just being nice to me. Some people say, "Oh, I can't wait to watch it, but I'm going to wait," because they know themselves
0: that they just want to do the binge, which I understand too. And quickly, while we're still on that cast, if you will let me, Andrew, the um, the you, you give them all something to do. I mean, you there's a list of about it must be about eight, eight, maybe even ten people, and they all have reasonably significant. I I have good memories of of important parts of the plot they were involved in, um. And, and I could ask you in particular about William McInnes. He looks to me as if he might have had the most fun. I'm sure everybody <laughs> enjoyed their character, but did he have a lot of fun uh, playing oh, I think so. Cunningham?
1: I certainly hope so. I, yeah, he seemed like he did. I mean, he you know, he just played romantic leads for so much of his career and was brilliant at him, but he he he's such a playful guy and he's a great writer and and he um, a lot of those flourishes he added e- early on, he wrote like right before his, he actually had the first shoot, uh, first scene of the entire shoot um, and and he wrote me this very, very polite email going, I just had a couple of little inflections, little phrases like ducks nuts and your <laughs> flog and stuff like that. They're, they're William McInnes uh, additions. And really early on I said to him, you you know these men and you've spent parts of your career um, you know, enduring them. So go for it, go for it. And oftentimes it was, you know, he, he did a few alts on different takes and we would pick and choose. And when he came in to do his ADR, I could see he was really keen to see which parts of his, his his improvisations lasted, but I think he had an absolute whale of the time. And, and certainly the entire on, it was an event when William came in for the day. And and you could see how much you know Stephen Peacock and Michelle Lim Davidson were just sort of all buzzy and excited that he was performing that day. Um, my final
2: question about the newsreader is, uh, Michael, do you think that the character that William McInnes plays in the newsreader? Do you think those men still exist in TV today, or have we, or have they had to restrain themselves? What's your feeling?
1: Um, I I think there are, I think some of them still do exist for sure it's there are many people that from that era that are still working and I do think that news sometimes news departments have have remained a little bastion of that kind of behavior a bit longer than most not as perhaps not as intensely as parliament house but um fairly intensely I think it really is different in drama now I'm sure there's people who existed in drama but now we just, you know, there's, there's so many codes of conduct and, and, and I think with drama, because you start new productions so regularly that it's a reset every time. Whereas with news, it can, you know, the same people can be in those jobs for years. And I've heard stories, radio as well. I think they exist in radio, but I would like to think that there's been a bit of tempering, um, just with, you know, contemporary workplace culture and everything. God, I hope so. Anyway, yeah, but I but I definitely still, I don't know, there are still unfortunately those sort of personalities do sometimes still push their way through and end in a position where they're not that challenged. So I think it's better that I don't think it's
0: completely gone. Yeah, I get it. He was an executive for a different period, but I found myself looking at him thinking, He's not really a bad person, though. I mean, he he sort of meant well. He just had a very awkward way of um, expressing himself, I guess. And
1: uh. <laughs> yeah, look, he. I mean, we definitely were trying to show that he's that everyone sort of the meat, a meat in a different sandwich, and that he's getting all this pressure from above, and then he's spewing that all out over everyone. You know, and I lo- I lo- William always looks like he's on the brink of a heart attack at any <laughs> given moment when he's playing the role. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, it, it, look, I do think he, he behaves pretty appallingly to Helen a few times. But, um, but nonetheless, I, you know, I think he is getting a lot of pressure from, from on high.
0: And we've, we've talked about Stephen Peacock recently, Andrew, with um, his role in RFDS. Yeah. And to me, he takes it even a step further with his with what he does in this. To to me, Stephen Peacock has has a lot of the time in the past almost been Stephen Peacock as much as the character. But there's a whole new side to him that really comes out in in this, I think. And am, am I am I reading too much into that? No, I don't
2: well, I don't think so. I think I think it's interesting watching him in Five Bedrooms and and the newsreader, together and actually seeing that there's different levels of vulnerability that he's showing. And he's certainly showing that in the newsreader. I love it that he's this sports guy that has to ask the girl in the office to explain world events to him. I think that's brilliant.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's... Um- the one of the wonderful things about Stephen, I think, is he's one of those actors that the more he works, the more confident he gets and and the better he gets. And we were just that past year, he'd been in so much work. and um and he was just so match fit. and, It was so wonderful because I remember when he first came on to Five... He's brilliant. He's always been brilliant. But when he first came on to Five Bedrooms, he was anxious and it took him a while to sink into the comedy and everything. When I say a while, I mean like a couple of days. But um, with um, Newsreader, he just was quite soon off RFDS. And I remember one of the first scenes he had to do was the garden party um, when Dale kisses Helen. And if you watch that sequence, there's so many brilliant Stephen Peacock reactions the whole way through. And he just... Uh, he he was so unselfconscious and and yeah as you said he's got better and better and better at just being vulnerable on on screen and yeah I I don't I he's such a lovely guy and he defies all kind of explanation really how this like incredibly masculine rugby player dude is such a um such a great detailed actor is
0: it goes against every stereotype but he's brilliant and, and my last one on, on the newsreader, I guess, is how busy is Emma Freeman? I mean, yeah, she nearly seems to be making everything lately. It's um, it, Was it hard to get her? And, um, w- you know, she obviously did a great job. What, what's it like working with her?
1: Oh, wonderful. I mean, we've been working ever since our start of Offspring and, um, yeah, it is. I mean, Joe and I both knew early on that we really, really wanted Emma and the ABC thoroughly endorsed that decision because uh, they'd just been, you know, doing stateless with her. Um, yeah, it, it, and, and again, I have to say she's got US agents and they're very keen for her to take um, US jobs and, and, frankly, again, it was the pandemic that that um you know she she didn't want to leave the country and that meant that we were a good job for her to take not just her actually even Melinda Doring, the production designer, she doesn't tend to do recurring series she normally does features or telemovies movies or miniseries and so I, I I like to think Emma would have still done it anyway but certainly uh, circumstances played played well for us and you know she's she she certainly is the kind of director that she did all the episodes here. And that is how she tends to work. It's, um, you know, she's, a, she's, she's bringing an auteur focus to television. And also just the, the trust that Anna and Sam had in her. She rehearsed a lot with them and spoke a lot with them and they just got in this amazing groove together. And I think that she got things out of them that it's hard to imagine any other director getting from them.
0: Yeah. Fantastic. Look, another um, series, we'll we'll move on now to something else. I want to talk a little bit about clickbait. Now, I've got a potential segue question here about Mm. clickbait. I was looking at episode two last night and I thought, could it possibly be using the same set? (laughs) <laughs> that, that some of uh, the newsreader use. Would you know the answer to that?
1: I do know the answer to that, and congratulations, you're correct. And you' no! and, and the interesting thing is that my mother has was watching clickbait, and I was saying, do you have you noticed anything about? Look at this set that they're in there. She's like, she was just getting more and more frustrated until I finally said, it's the newsroom. <laughs> the news, yes, we clickbait shares the same producer, and obviously Emma directed an episode of clickbait as well. And um so the 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 policemen, the police officers in clickbait are our newsroom officers in the newsreader. And it was simply because we actually had another vintage '80s office in a Ford factory, and they got a bit antsy about COVID and everything, and we lost them at the last minute. And so they, yeah, so <laughs> we ended up in the clickbait office, but very well spotted. Yes,
0: yeah, know um, it. Yeah. That's an amazing pick,
2: James. Oh, I haven't picked that. <laughs>
1: Well, it's not. lit it's lit quite differently. Yeah, and yeah. obviously, you know, dotted with computers and everything we don't we don't uh, have. And also we sort of extended a bit more of the space so it looks a bit more spacious with us. But yeah, fun. and there's still the wood panelling and everything. So well, there's Helen, Helen Noble's
0: office what tri- triggered it in you. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, <laughs> totally.
2: Um, The reports that clickbait has cost $52 million are just blowing my mind here. I mean, that would make the most expensive drama series ever filmed in Australia. I can't see what they've spent the money on. There's no special effects. There's no huge A-list actors they've brought down. I mean, is this just like all American TV productions? You know, every actor gets a trailer and, like, that's
0: a lot of money to spend on a series, James. What do you like? I'm guessing a lot of that might have been there's a there's a fair few effects in making it look like, um, I, I think it's around San Francisco, Oakland. Yeah. You'll, you'll know there's a lot of, I mean, I, I get you, it's not $52 million worth of special effects, but they've gone to a fair bit of detail, um, the streetscapes, to make them really look American. And I think they've done a pretty good job. I think um, if you didn't know, you probably wouldn't obviously think oh this is melbourne you know there's um i look at a lot of scenes and i'm thinking "Hmm, i can't really pick where that is or they've done a good job at masking it i'm you know i'm sure if i was still living in melbourne as and maybe you might look at it, michael and think oh yeah i know that street
1: i I have to say and i do watch it through that lens and i think they've done a really amazing job because i i I can normally pick it there's been a few like Nicolas Cage movies and things like that made in Melbourne, and it's part of the enjoyment as a Melbourne <laughs> is to sit there going, "Oh, there they are, they're on Great." <laughs> but um, clickbait's really well done in that respect because they have done just enough filming over in the US, and it's really smoothly integrated. There's a few times where I've recognised Port Melbourne it was doubling <laughs> for LA, but uh, by and large, you really—I don't think you can tell at all. And in terms of that high budget over yeah, the there is a part of me that thinks, wow, you could get a lot of <laughs> five bedrooms for that. And yeah. a, real, a real lot, we could be, let's just say we'd be up to, yeah. I oh, know, I hear Yeah, A lot of the season. But um, they also of course had to, you know, fly everyone back for the pandemic. And, the, and they also, I think there was, they used the studios at, um, at Docklands and most of those interiors are um, builds, which I've never worked on a show. I mean, that was always the way things were done. Um, but ever since I've been working, it's we've always done location shoots, thrifty location shoots, but that certainly, I know all those domestic interiors are builds on a soundstage and things like that, um, you know, suck up a lot of money quickly.
2: What do you reckon, James? Are you
0: going to watch uh, all, is it eight episodes? I think I've watched four and I've got distracted. Um, I, sure. I, th- I think I will, but... Um, I'm not sure how I feel about it though i mean it's um I can understand how it's attracted some some quite positive reviews and then some others that were just they'd like to make puns on the title you know um <laughs> which was again I could see that's quite tempting as well but um yeah, I'm a bit unmoved at this stage it's um it's a it's a bit of an odd storyline i didn't couldn't quite it, it wasn't sort of motivating me to find out what was happening. It was sort of, it sounded quite bizarre, the whole thing. Um I don't know. We So you think you're, you'll stop it for? Well, look, I think I'll go back to it. But,
2: you know, it, I liked it, but it didn't have that thing to make me go, I'm going to binge this and watch this to the very end. Other things started coming in and now it's just kind of sitting out there like, am I going to go back and finish it one day? So it's sitting in. And we talk about this a lot, James, where you and I watch shows yeah. and sometimes we don't get around to finish them because
0: something else comes along and distracts us. It's, it's an interesting partnership. It's Tony Ayers, of course, who's done a, a lot of great work and he's working in um, it's a bit of a co-pro with uh, an English outfit called, I think it's Heyday, yeah, Heyday Television, and they were the people who were part of the whole um, Harry Potter phenomenon. So it's uh, it's really an interesting combo. Now I know nothing about the Harry Potter movies, so um I haven't picked up any little sort of nods to sort of what might be might have influenced it from there. But um, yeah, I'll, I'll certainly persevere with it. Michael, how how much have you seen of it? I've done it all. Oh, you have. Oh, okay. yeah.
1: I, yeah, I smashed my way through it. I, I think partially because I'm, wor- I, I'm working on Five Bedrooms day to day and it was just such a different... The worst thing for me would be to watch a similar show to Five Bedrooms and clickbait was so <laughs> appealingly different, although it does have that changing perspective to different characters thing. But I, for me, the hook was I became convinced really early on that the character that Ian Meadows played was guilty. For some reason, I just... There was something that happened in the second episode where i thought it was him and then i had to pursue it to the very end to see whether i was right and i will not reveal the answer but uh the good old who did who done it is you know is going to get me through to the end
0: most of the time yeah 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 no there's some interesting characters and they they do as each episode well i've only watched two but they you learn you know their character grows a little bit as you as you tune in so that's that's what might keep me going is um, seeing what happens there.
1: I also do think it is significant in, I, you wouldn't know the answer to this. Ha, has there been another time where there's been an American series, not only made in Australia, but, but created by Australians for the American market in this sense? Because I can't really, I know there's been plenty of American shows that have been made here and there's La Brea being made here now. But for yeah. it to be created by Australians as well, set and written is is there a previous example of this
2: well what we could think about uh hoodlum entertainment creating that show what was that show secrets they- and lies lies they filmed it in australia then the americans remade it so that's a bit different in that they remade it but ultimately it was still australian creatives getting a show made for american primetime tv
1: yeah, yeah definitely, yeah,
2: definitely. It actually went for a second season in the US. That's right. It only went for one here in Australia.
1: With Juliette Lewis, yeah. Yeah, it just feels, um. It, yeah, it suddenly feels like what it, there, there is this significant notable thing for the industry of the notion of, I know, it does change the way I think about things in terms of I never would have thought to develop a completely US show to be made in my hometown and anyway, so it's a real, however, Tony has stitched together that deal, I think
0: it's pretty impressive and it clearly seems to have worked. Another segue, could, is Nine Perfect Strangers? That doesn't fit, that um, does it?
1: Well it's, an Austra- well, it's close. Yeah, it's an Australian novel, but it's David E. Kelly and it's Australian yeah. producer, Bruna Papandrea so, yeah. and Jodie Madison. Sort so of, I suppose, yeah. I mean, yeah. the, the odd thing about that is that the book is set in Australia, but the TV show is, um, is they've reset it in California, but it's filmed in Australia.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an odd one, isn't it? It's, um, I, I've, um, I'm about halfway through Nine Perfect Strangers. Again, I'm at a stage where I'm thinking, uh, will I keep going? I, I'm not sure. I've been watching it with a big, um, um, what's the author's name, Moriarty? Um, Leanne.
1: Leanne. Leanne.
0: A big Leanne Moriarty um, fan. She keeps saying to me, oh, this book was the worst of all her books. And I've I've read that quite a bit. But the. The characters aren't, I'm not finding myself warming to the characters in this. Yeah, look,
2: know, I'm strange. I'm, I'm hanging out for it every week. I'm still watching it. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's an interesting one for me. Well, I guess one of the problems I have with it is that it's starting to look to me as the episodes go on. I like the characters. To me it's starting to look like it's filmed in one beautiful house in byron bay to me i'm not getting the sense that this is a resort so i guess maybe because i understand that it's filmed in byron bay at this beautiful house all i can kind of see is well they're doing one bedroom down that end of the house and then they're running around and doing a bedroom from the other end of the house so that distracts me but um you know i mean i'm in it till the end i quite like it yeah
0: yeah hey. y- Thought you were quite generous in your in your media week column the um the week because how do you normally react to Nicole Kidman in stuff?
2: Yeah, I yeah I'm not the, the hugest Nicole Kidman fan around, um, but I kind of like it when Nicole plays something that's really unlike herself. To me, when Nicole's in The Undoing, I've seen her do that kind of uh, well-to-do. Uh, Manhattan socialite woman I've seen her do that a lot I've never seen her do a kind of a verging on crazy possibly evil Russian wellness expert I like the when like she's doing something totally that's un-Nicole like
0: yeah, uh, yeah. Well, you won't see that character in many things, I guess, will you? <laughs> You've <laughs> no. just described Michael. Have you? Um, have you dabbled in this at all? Yeah. No, I'm a couple of episodes
1: in, and uh, yeah, I'm definitely still going to keep coming back. I mean, the hooks for me were um, actually M- M- Melissa McCarthy was the was the one that I was enjoying watching the most, and and her dynamic with Bobby Cannavale. Is that yes. She, yeah, 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 paired with. Yeah. And also, I mean, it was just you know I love watching Asha. at at, at any time. And I was worried going into it, thinking, am I going to be just so distracted by her with the (laughs) American accent? Because that's a big adjustment having stared at her face for so long, all those years of offspring. But, um, I think, I think she's doing beautiful work opposite, opposite all the rest of them. I mean, yeah, she's definitely one of the standouts in a pretty big
0: cast. (laughs) Yeah, it is. And listening to you both talk about it, I think, I mean, I, I'm saying I don't warm to any of the characters, but then I guess these are the sort of people who would perhaps be drawn to a facility just like they're going to.
2: Yeah, yeah, more than likely, yeah. I, I I guess with the one thing about Leon Moriarty for me is that having watched Big Little Lies and understood it, I guess I'm watching for those moments in Nine Perfect Strangers where there's going to be this massive twist where something's you know, right in front of you, and you can't see it. So I guess I'm I'm trying to double guess the plot because I understand how Big Little Lies worked, and uh, hopefully, yeah, announce- Big Little
1: Lies had such a good back end, and it really didn't yeah. fully reveal itself until those l- l- last run of eps. And so, you, yeah, there's you're hoping for similar payoffs here.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, me too, me too. Um, something I haven't seen at all, and I think you've written about this recently, uh, Andrew. Kevin can fuck himself.
2: Yeah. So this is the new Amazon Prime show that starts off. So it's two shows in one. It's like that traditional uh, sitcom, like a King of Queens, where there's kind of like this slobby uh, husband that sits around his lounge room drinking beer and watching football on TV. And he's got that sitcom wife. And what's interesting about this show is that every time she leaves this kind of lounge room set, The show changes into what is a very dark uh, look at her life. She doesn't like her husband. She doesn't think he's funny. She might laugh when she's in the sitcom part of the show. She's not laughing when she goes outside. And, you know, the town she lives in is clearly depressed. It's seen better days. There's a lot of closed businesses uh, when she walks down the main street. And uh, it's interesting. I've only watched the first episode. i got to get back into it. But as a, a concept... In terms of uh, deconstructing that type of uh, sitcom male aimed at a male audience, I'm really fascinated by it.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Have you seen any of this one, Michael? No, I haven't. But I, I and it's actually was really great <laughs> to get that praise because I keep hearing something. It's a riff on. I was imagining she's like the um, Mrs. Bundy and married with children or something like that. But I couldn't quite understand how it works. But I'm intrigued even more so after hearing that. And obviously, I mean that actress from Schitt's Creek. So oh, yeah. Brilliant. all Brilliant. That entire ensemble in Schitt's Creek was incredible, but I'm so ready to watch her be
0: yeah. at the centre of a show. Okay, so that one's on Amazon Prime. Uh, a new series up on Netflix, new Sandra O oh series, The Chair. Um, I, I've actually seen all of these. It was up on Netflix, so you got the chance. And I think they're 30-minute episodes, I'm pretty sure, so you can actually um, binge them pretty quickly. How many? And, uh, eight, I think. Eight. Yeah, yep, so four hours and you're done. No, so it's only six. Yeah, six 30-minute episodes. So you've got a three-hour block and you're all done. Um, I liked it. It's pretty lightweight, I must say, but but to me, yeah, no, that's that's not a problem. Um, I really enjoyed it. Um, Sandra Oh plays a uh, the first woman um, chair of an English department in a US college and sort of all the um, – the drama that brings along the way and uh, past relationships and relationships with students and some of the other um some of the the a lot of the other faculty members are very old and they're very funny that's that's probably the highlight of me some of the character actors that play some of those roles that's that's very well done and it's if nothing else it's it's quite attractive for that
2: yeah so Sam, how, how, I'll probably watch it uh, you know I like a 30 minute show James <laughs> uh, it's on my list of things
1: to do. Yeah, and Holland Taylor is one of the older um, members of the faculty, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a, yeah. She, she was one of my absolute favourites through from growing up to now. So, I'm, and everyone says this is the best
0: role she's had in her career. So, wow. I'm
1: as interested to see it for Holland Taylor as I am for Sandra Oak. Okay, well,
0: that's made me want to watch the show now. <laughs> Yeah, she plays a Professor Joan Hambling, and she's a real scene stealer. I mean, everything yeah. she's in, you think, you think, gee, this series should have been about her. But, no, it's a, it's very good. Um, Vigil has started on Foxtel. It's another show that frustratingly, in particular with this one, because it's a real edge of the sea thriller, you do have to wait the week. We're getting this sort of day and date with the UK. I think Episode 3 went out on the UK on Sunday night. So that's up on uh, Foxtel to watch tonight. And uh, it's got the, um, I think one of Andrew and uh, myself's favorite actors, um, Saran Jones, is playing a police detective in this, trying to solve a murder, as strange as it may seem, on a nuclear submarine. But it's actually um, very good. And um, it's, yeah, it's just got me right in.
2: But does she have to have claustrophobia when she goes into a submarine? It's like, I was kind of watching it going, is this what I want to watch in lockdown? (laughs) A murder investigation inside a submarine when the lead detective has had this traumatic incident that is causing claustrophobia. I'm coming back to it. That first episode was uh, fantastic. But, uh, yeah, it's easy to watch because it's week by week.
0: Yeah yeah and it's from the people that made uh, Line of Duty so there's um there's you know the it's very tightly uh put together uh Martin Compton is in it um one of the regulars in Line of Duty um um there's not much you can say about him with giving any spoilers away if you haven't started it yet but um he is very I'll say he's a very uh, central character to the whole thing so it's um it's definitely worth watching I'm guessing you haven't caught up with that yet Michael
1: no but it's um, it's gonna now that I've done clickbait it's it, it also sounds like it's going to tick that box of being <laughs> as far away from five bedrooms as you could get so it's pretty high on the list as well
0: yeah, yeah. Some amazing stuff happens in that first episode. It's almost like the, um, a lot of those first episodes of Line of Duty where you go, wow, you know, this much mm. has happened in the first episode. It, it kicks off a little bit like that, and then it pulls back a little bit as some of the, the tension builds. But, no, it's very good. It's um one worth watching. Now, Andrew, you had reservation dogs on your list. I had a feeling we might have covered it last time, but um, give us a quick take on it.
2: Well, if we covered it, I hadn't watched it yet. So this is uh, a new show that Taika Waititi is the co-creator of and co-executive producer. It's the first ever show made with an all-Indigenous cast and mostly Indigenous crew, filmed in Oklahoma, set uh, on an Indian reservation. And it reminded me a bit of Robbie Hood with those kind of uh Uh, teenage characters that are kind of playing up Um, but the twist in Reservation Dogs is that uh, one of the kids realises, hey, we can't continue going down this path, we have to change our ways. It's great to see that it's been renewed for a second series and honestly to think that this is the first ever Indigenous uh, show made in America with an all-Indian cast after all
0: these years, kind of mind-blowing. Yeah, that is amazing, isn't it? To think, you know, we've, people say, yeah, we've come a long way, haven't we? When you hear stuff like, yeah, well, no, no, we haven't really. We've hardly gone anywhere at all. But
1: also it shows up as well how one of the, it is, we don't often talk about it, but it's such a triumph that um, our First Nations film and TV makers in Australia has been such an incredible success story, particularly over the past two decades. And um, and it really throws it into sharp relief when you realise this is the first time this has happened in the United States, whereas we've just had this amazing legacy of every all the output of Blackfella Films and you know everything from Redfern now to Total Control and and. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, to me, it shows how incredible all of the First Nations filmmakers we have here. I mean, it's more than just one show we've got here. We've we've got a you know a, a real thriving community that's really popular as well, really popular with audiences.
2: Yeah,
0: and then I sort of wanted to maybe sort of wrap up today with a um, with a look at Wentworth, the um, the final series. It's. Um, we've been known it was going to be wrapped up for quite some time we've had to wait till now to get to see it i'll start with saying i mean i'm i'm not a big wentworth watcher so i'll, I'll let you two chaps have a crack at that but the i was surprised the size of the audiences the initial audiences on Foxtel, they've been about the overnights have been about 50,000 people, and I get it that's not the total TV that'll grow significantly. But I remember back that used to do something like 200,000 or more. Now, I'm just wondering if some of that audience has drifted away and if there might be any reason for that, Andrew.
2: Mm, yeah, that's a good question. I don't know, and I must admit, we don't, I haven't seen uh, Foxtel ratings and, and noted that. For Wentworth Um, It's interesting because they're airing These episodes the same time In the UK now So they've asked fans not to talk about Plot spoilers online because it's airing In the UK within 24 hours Um, These episodes to me Very much feel like this is The finale, I mean the the body count, the death count is high. <laughs> in those first two episodes. It feels to me like there won't be a lot of the cast left by the end of it because this time it really feels like the end. I know two years ago they had they filmed an end and then they changed it. This time we're definitely, definitely heading towards the end. But, yeah, has the audience dropped off? That's a really interesting question. I,
1: I, I probably, I mean, clearly that audience number is lower, but I, I think I would probably also... Um, sort of put it in the framework of I certainly know for myself um, I've just converted to being a binge subscriber rather than Foxtel I used to have the whole Foxtel package and, and I think a lot of the people that were in that had a Foxtel subscription for the drama have just opted to have binge instead because it's more it's cheaper and but then for, but then for their big originals like Wentworth and like The End and Upright and everything it, we sort of end up in this awkward situation where they first appear on the platform where the real drama watchers aren't necessarily subscribed and then it takes quite a while before they get to binge. So I, I, th- I don't know, my sense of it would be that there still is a very loyal fan base. It's just a lot of the drama audience of Foxtel have just migrated to the, to the streaming platform maybe.
2: That's actually a good, uh, that actually could be really what's going on. There, I would say there'd be a lot of uh, people who watch Foxtel just for the drama who've probably done the accounting and realised, why well, am I paying for all these chapters when all I want to watch is drama? You know, I was saying to my friends last night, they were saying, oh, you know, when we move house, we might get Foxtel. I was like, really? Like, you guys watch drama. Why don't you just get Binge? And then you can use what's left over to get Apple TV Plus and and try some of the other streamers. So, yeah, if you're you're into drama, uh, Binge is absolutely where the audience could be heading to.
1: It'll be interesting to see if now that this is the last one, how long it'll take for it to migrate to... Binge because part of the, you know, I mean, the big incentive to stick with Foxtel from my perspective was that things like Upright and The End would be there. But now they have appeared on Binge. So it sort of makes you think, oh, well, if you wait long enough, they'll all, they'll eventually move them all there. And yeah, I can't wait to see what they do with the 100 episodes of Wentworth that they've got stockpiled now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad to hear you say that about Binge, Michael, because I've been banging on for quite a while. What a great. Bargain it is when you, you know, the entry level's 10 bucks. I think it's 14 for uh, HD quality compared to, you know, you want to get all those shows on Foxtel, you're going to be looking at close to 100 bucks, I think, you know. Yeah. So and Succession
1: uh, Season 3 is right around the corner.
0: <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it is good value. Look, um, we, we can sort of wrap up this in a second. We we usually leave with some little recommendation we might have for something we've been watching that we we were enjoying. I'll go out with um, a new series on Foxtel called Right Around the World. It's a travel series from Richard E. Grant, where he goes to a country and um picks out a couple of books now what the first couple of episodes are up on foxtel at the moment the first episode is italy and it's just fantastic it's um these shows uh take on so much more um importance when you can't go anywhere you know so you can you can't travel so you can sort of get yourself lost in these shows and just what he does in italy starts off in naples it's just fantastic and um he he goes to um Positano and um he does the talent of Mr. Ripley, which oh, I know isn't isn't Italian literature, but but it's a famous novel set in uh Positano and it's just um just brilliant. So watch out for that one. So something there from Richard E. Grant. Andrew, have you got anything you want to um recommend? Well, you know,
2: I don't watch a lot of reality TV, James, but I might have got stuck into the cheating scandal on the block. <laughs> <laughs> So I might be watching Bathroom Week this week just to see how it plays yeah. out, but, you know, you didn't hear that from me.
0: <laughs> what about you? Um, anything that's... Um piqued your interest lately. We haven't mentioned today, Michael. I'm sure you've spoken about hacks a lot and I would
1: absolutely say that. Oh, the only other funny little thing that I've been watching is um, SBS On Demand has a series on on first ladies. Have you been aware of that? It's just a series covering all these famous first ladies from Eleanor Roosevelt to Michelle Obama. And I know there's going to be a big prestige drama coming out towards maybe at the start of next year on Paramount Plus with Michelle Pfeiffer and Viola Davis playing Michelle Obama and things like that. Wow. So weirdly I've been enjoying watching this doco series on all of these iconic first ladies. You know, it's it's not particularly demanding viewing, but it's interesting and, yeah. and it's pretty
0: well executed. No, good recommendation is that you can, there's just so much depth too on um SBS On Demand, it's amazing, you know, what you can... I mean, I find it a bit frustrating. (laughs) The the shortcut is to go to search and stop, you know. I often get on there and think I'll find it by just scrolling, no, no. Go go to search and you'll you'll save yourself 10 minutes. But there's a lot of good stuff there. And another thing about SBS On Demand, something those total TV figures have thrown up is the size of the audience for watching Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I Mm. mean... I knew it was popular, but, gee, I didn't know it was that popular. It's just the stunning. The kids love Brooklyn Nine-Nine.
2: Mm. Yeah, love- no.
0: yeah, it's just, just doing fantastic business. All right, look, it's been uh, great getting you both on. Um, Michael, look, congratulations again on the great work with um, the newsreader. Still a couple of episodes to go, and if you're late to the party, they're all there on iview, of course. So thank you. And, um, Andrew, always great to catch up with you.
1: Thanks, James. Thank you.